My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody to part two of this month's series on African-American experiences in Appalachia. Um, we're your hosts, Cami Aarons and TJ Smith. Howdy. And this week we've got perhaps what's one of my personal favorite interviews um, in the Foxfire archives. And that comes from Miss Carrie Stewart. Carrie was a woman who lived in Franklin, North Carolina her entire life. Um, it's just about 30 minutes north of us here at Foxfire. And when she was interviewed in 1977, she was just shy of her 100th birthday. And then she was interviewed again in 1981. Um, and honestly, listening to both <laughs> audios, there seems to be absolutely no difference in her um, demeanor between those two interviews. Um, she was an incredibly vibrant woman with just stunningly sharp memory. I, I wouldn't question anything she said because it she has so much mm -hmm. confidence and um, accuracy in her memory. I don't know, what were your first thoughts about Carrie, TJ? I, I was um, reading through the transcript and then listening to the interview. Um, the breadth of her historical experience is pretty unique and striking. Um, so sh she has living memory of uh, the slave experience through mm -hmm. her her parents and her grandparents um, which is you know a, a, it's always a unique find in any oral history collection um, and then also the her the honesty of that perspective uh, the honesty of some of the stories that she shared um, mentioned in the first episode that sort of the introduction episode to this month's um, programs about you know the the weight of access and context of these interviews and how um, whoever it is that's conducting the interview can can sometimes sometimes impact what the interviewee feels comfortable or safe in sharing and I don't feel that Carrie Stewart held back at all no and um, was very forthcoming with her recollections of what. Uh, those experiences were for her and some really tough experiential moments the the memory of her father yeah. um, she has a very vivid memory of her father well telling her um, of when he was sold at a slave market right. in Franklin as a child yes and again like connecting to some things we touched on in the first episode you know he was bought, sold, raised as a slave in Franklin, North Carolina, and that's where Carrie spent her entire life. Um, so really, you know, this interesting connection to places in Appalachia. Um, but she's definitely got some really powerful memories, but then she also just shares some really great stories from her upbringing, um, you know, kind of shedding light on what it was to be a young African-American in a time where our nation was negotiating racial relationships post-slavery. Um, and so I think she's got some really great 
kind of normal stories there. Well, and too, some just great perspective as what it meant to be a woman at that time mm-hmm. and yeah. the experiences that she had in that, you know, in the context of relationships with men and um, being a mother and, and, and all these kinds of things. So um, some really great moments you know, crossing a couple important subject matters or themes or topics, you know, not only the African-American experience, but also the female experience. Mm-hmm. And I know that's been something that's been really inspiring to you because you're working on a book yeah, <laughs> um, on on women in Appalachia uh, through the Foxfire Archive. And, and I think that was certainly, uh, I can imagine some part of that the aspect of her interview was extremely intriguing to you. Yeah, her her um, interview's been really inspiring and will certainly be included in our in the new book project. A piece of her interview that we're not including here because we're saving it for next month is her experiences as a midwife. Mm. Um, and you know, I was just reviewing today her uh, one of her articles in the Foxfire um, book and. You know, she she claimed that she had an easier life because her husband didn't make her work. But Carrie had 10 children that she raised, <laughs> and then she worked as a midwife. If that's not work, I'm not really sure what is. So, you know, just, just her, her dedication to the people around her and her persevering spirit, I think, are really inspiring. And I'm excited to share more of her interview next month. And then obviously to include her in, in the new book. Anyway, that's that's enough of me gushing about how much I love Carrie Stewart. But she's really, she's like Aunt Airy. She really comes off of the page. Um, mm-hmm. And even obviously in her interview, you feel as if you're sitting there next to her um, and that you know her. And I always find that really um, inspiring. And the people who welcome these students into their lives and just shared. Yes. And shared. Yes. <laughs> I hope you all enjoy this interview, and then we will be back next week um, with some excerpts from an interview with uh, Mr. Bruce Mosley. And I remember all that way back then. Because, you see, I was born 28th of November, 1878. And my mother, my mother's been dead ever since 1912. My daddy died in 1910, and my mother died in 1912, just two years difference. Mm. Uh-huh. That's been a long time. <laughs> well, what was her name? McDonald. M-C-D-O-N-N-E-W-L. McDonald. Were they from up here? Huh? Were they from Franklin? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was born and reared right here in Franklin. And yeah. your father? Well, yes, I reckon he was. I don't know. Uh, I really just don't know. My father was born way back there when they sold children, you know, put them on. Mm-hmm. He said he remembered being sold. Really? They were buying slaves, you know. Yeah. Now, like uh, this white man owned a woman, and he uh, he'd pick a th- he's going to buy a woman, you know, that, so he could re- have children, just like a man buying a cow, raising calves, you know. He'd pick on a woman that he knew was as he they said fertile, you know. Mm-hmm. And if he saw a woman that had several children, he'd buy her because he'd know he'd have children. And they said that my daddy tell us said that. If, uh, and they got a woman that had several children, well, they'd take care of her just like she's a queen. So she know that will be multiplying and replaying. <laughs> I said, that's pitiful. Yes. yes. Yeah, my daddy said that they have a, just like they have these, have these auction sales, you know, mm-hmm. and said they'd have a block out there, a, piece, a stool or something, and they'd all crowd around. Well, they'd put that boy up on there and they'd examine him. 
And if he seemed to be well made and strong and all, then they'd go to bidding on him. The pious bidder got him. <laughs> I said, well, I declare that. That was terrible. Did he know who it was? Huh? Did he know who it was? He did what? Did he know who it was? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I who, said, bought him? who bought him? Huh? Who, was, who was it, that the man that bought him? Ma uh, McDonald. There was two white McDonalds. One... Mm, let me see. I forgot the name now, but there was two white McDonald men and brothers. And uh, one bought my daddy, and one bought uh, my daddy's uncle. And I said, and so we are so mixed up, uh, I don't know who my relatives is and who are they not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, my mother, my grandmother, she was, uh, she wasn't a slave, she was a bound girl. Way back there, they, like a white man wanted a girl, and they'd bind her to this man, a Reverend C.D. Smith. Her name, she married way back then, she married a carpenter, but they didn't live together but a little bit because she said she couldn't stand his way and so she wasn't married long. So she went by this white man's name, Smith, Martha mm -hmm. Smith. Mm -hmm. And so uh, his sons, he had several sons, Dr. Frank Smith, Mr. Charlie Smith, Canera Smith, and there's a lot of those yeah. Smith men. And this Mr. Charlie Smith, after I was grown and old, he had a store in town. And when my mother go in the store, well, he'd tell them, wait on my kinfolks, that's my kinfolks. <laughs> and it just embarrassed Mama, so. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, was very nice. And yeah, my grandmother was buying <coughs> the Smiths. And my grandmother's daddy, they said he bought his freedom. I never never could understand how that was. He wasn't a slave anymore. Said he bought his freedom. I don't know. I plan to ask somebody that maybe that knew, but I don't know who yeah. knows. What was his occupation? Huh? What was his occupation? Uh, my daddy. Your he, granddad. Oh, he's a farmer. He farmed. The, well, the, the, the grandfather who bought his... Bought himself out of slavery. Yes, bought his, uh, bought his freedom, they said. I don't know what that means or how it goes, but I've heard him, my uh, daddy say that my granddaddy bought his freedom. So he's no more a slave. He could kind of, you know, engineer his own business and all like that. Yeah. He didn't have to go and ask questions, this, that, and the other. He could, they give him privilege, you know, sort of engineer his own business. Yeah. And I said, well, that was giving him a chance. Yeah. Well, that's years and years ago. Because I, let me see this, I think about five or six generations of my family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just me immediately, let me see, I have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. Me, myself. Did you really? Mm-hmm, yes. Wow. <laughs> yes, I have. There's five generations, me, and my daughter, my granddaughter, and my great-granddaughter, and my great-great... <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've seen all of them. I've seen all that whole generation. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. That really must be nice for you. And I'll live to be enough. I'll live to see November. I'll be 99 years old. Well, November <laughs> what? 99. I had a wonderful teacher, a Reverend Kennedy, and now you didn't pass up anything halfway. You had to know it. I remember we wore out the page in the book almost learning the multiplication table. 
Really? <laughs> that was the hardest table look like. But he made us stay right there and we learned that table. So you see in the fives, in the tens, we could go that just right little, yeah. but we couldn't keep up with the others. But he made us stay right there and we learned that multiplication table. So I said, yeah, I, I could get that most any time. Yeah, because we had to learn it. And you know, I'm proud of it too. I'm proud of yeah. it. Because if he let us went on, I had went and got the the arithmetic to see what eight times seven was and all like that, but yeah. uh, we couldn't do it. So I said, I'm very proud of it. That's yeah. the teacher that lived with you? Huh? That's the teacher that boarded with you? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I said, well, I don't know. And I, I get aggravated when I think about it that I was more strict on making my children learn things like that. Oh, you like see, what? you know, a mother, she had a baby this year. And then in two years had another baby. She didn't have time to teach arithmetic. <laughs> yeah. I could have did better than what I did, but oh, this teacher of mine, Reverend Kennedy, he lived to see me married and some of my children. And he said, now, keep your children busy. He said, now, your boys, said, give your girls a needle and thread. Said, they may not sew good, but said, give them two, three pieces of cloth and let them sew it together. And if they don't sew it straight, make them take it out and go over it again. And he said, then you first, you base the line there, long stitches, and let them sew. And see if they sew right by that. And they don't pull it out and start again. Well, I said, mm-hmm. And even at the table, he boarded with my parents. He wasn't married then. And they would eat, you know, way back there. Children didn't go to the table with the old folks. They played when you need where they could reach across the table and all that. <laughs> he, he would come in, you know, and say, all right, sit down, take your arms off the table, lay your wrist up there, put your knife on the back of your plate, put that spoon down, eat with your fork. <laughs> oh, I said, well, I wish Mama would tell him to go on about his business. Put your chair up close to the table. And he'd make us do that. And you know that now, if I sit down to the table crossways, I think of that. I said, (laughs) I get tickled. I said, well, Reverend Kennedy would say, all right, Karen, sit up to the table close. Yeah. (laughs) And don't brush crumbs off on the floor. If you have any crumbs, let them come in hand, put them in your plate. And when you leave the table, put your knife and fork on that decent. (laughs) Oh, he was very strict. And I don't know. I said, well, I guess it is the very thing. His daughter lives in Asheville now, his oldest daughter. Right. She laughs. I told her, I said, I got all my table manners and my manners and everything from your father. She said, I know. She said, he used to make me so mad before he died. <laughs> he lived to be, I think he was 90, oh, 99 or something like that when he died. But he was very, very strict. How many years did he teach you? Oh, well, as long as I went to school. And I went to school, I married when I was 18, and I went to school off and on until I married. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I married. Let's see, I quit school in the spring, and I married in the next June. I married the June. Mm -hmm. So did you start to school when you were about, did you start to school when you were about six years old? That's right, six years old I started school. And I remember we had the, these little half-gallon tin buckets, you know. You, I don't guess you've ever seen one. I have a little one in yonder now, but it, uh, it's uh, flowered and uh, pictured all over. But this, these were little tin half-gallon buckets. They held a half-gallon. 
and our parents would put our dinner in that bucket and lid on it, you know, and here we'd go here and see more little tin buckets at school, you know, children with the dinner. Yeah. And uh, some children's parents, one lady, they didn't have but one child, and they was pretty, we called it high up, and she'd have, you know, she'd have biscuit bread, you know, and cake and tea cakes, and we, where our parents had big families, maybe we'd have cornbread maybe for dinner today, and, and they'd cook peas and beans and things. They'd have a, a cup of beans in there and all sorts of things that, you know. <laughs> I think about that, it tickles me. We'd just, and she'd give us, or she wouldn't care whether she eat or not. And we'd wait, rush and get through the house and go where she was and eat what she had. <laughs> you're what? You're the oldest one of the ten? Oldest one of the ten. The oldest and the youngest is Lily. You had ten. Children. Yeah, I had ten. Twins made the ten. I had nine confinements. I had twin babies. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. The little girl didn't live but just a little while. Mm -hmm. And the boy lived to be seventy-seven years old. He died here this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he lived to be seventy-seven. Now that was your son. Yeah, that's my son. Yeah, yeah, my, my. Let me see. My oldest son's dead, and uh, my second daughter's dead. I have, let me see, I think I have four living. Ella, Gertrude, Emma Lillian, George. I have four children living. And I waited 12 years and had my last baby. Dr. Lyle told me that that was my doctor way back then. He told me that. He said, now, you know, I used to suffer with sick headache. And he said, Carol said, you're going through the change. And he said, this headache will torment you right much. But he said, it'll quit after a while. He said it might take a year, it might take two, but he said in the wind-up, you most likely will have a little one. And sure enough, in 12 years, I had my baby. Wow. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he was spoiled to death. Okay. Well, you see the rest? The one next to him was 12 years older than he. Yeah. And he just, oh, he just thought he was it. <laughs> the uh, county used to have a three-month school way years ago. And uh, I never did go to but one, because we lived so far and we children were so small, we lived so far till we couldn't go, because our parents had no way to get us there and we didn't go. And so I never went to anything but the Episcopal school. Nine months. I ought to be highly educated. <laughs> we'd start in August and we'd end up in last of May or first of June. Y'all do as young people for courting and for games and parties and stuff. Oh, well, we had, uh, we had little social parties, you know, and had some, too, not many had games. We'd have what they call cake walks. They'd, some of them would play the harp and some of them would uh, pick the banjo. And we'd call them that could dance and dance. And then them that couldn't dance, they'd keep time with the music or egg or whatever. Yeah. And we'd call it cake walks, you know. We'd have parties and meet, you know. And, They'd uh, pick the banjo, play the fiddle, and oh, we'd have our <laughs> But then, our parents, we had a certain time to come back home. We couldn't go and stay all night. Now we'd go, and when this hour come, we had to go home. Yeah. So we didn't stay all night like they do now. Mm-mm. Well, I remember one time we went to a, a cousin of mine, and there was a crowd of us there. And everybody was sick because the time was out and they was having such a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they used to. Yeah. No, I never did get nothing about dancing on the sets because too much swinging around for me. But you didn't, it, it, you weren't taught that it was sinful or wrong or anything? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, I, 
I like to go and I like to when they'd have that what they called cakewalk where they'd have two and two and play music and walk, you know, march two and two. I didn't mind that. But uh, a crowd get out and dance and a man called it, what the cold yeah. calls it. Uh-uh, I wasn't in that at all. Yeah. But ooh, some of those girls could dance my mind. Yeah. How about singing and all? Did you huh? ever go? How about singing? Singing? Oh, well, we'd have that Sundays. You know, we wasn't supposed to do anything on Sunday much that we'd done in the week. Uh-uh. We'd have singing a lot of Sunday afternoons. Well, at one church later on while we had, uh, and Wednesday nights we'd have prayer meeting and have singing. But so the songs you were singing were usually religious songs. Oh yes, indeed. Yeah, we wouldn't dare sing anything else in church. Well, but yeah. at other times, did you sing other things? Oh yes, uh, in the week when we was home, you know, well, we could sing whatever we want. Let me say, there's one song I never will forget. Down the road, down the road. I forget how it was now. And one of them called Cripple Creek. I don't. I can't think about it now. But one they called Cripple Creek. And then there's one that's down the road, down the road. I forget how they go now, but they used to sing them. Yeah. Did y'all have a piano or an organ in the house? Well, they had a little organ. No, we didn't have one for years, but uh, they had banjos, you know, and fiddles, and they'd yeah. have that for music. We didn't have any. And you sing to them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those fellows could, they could pick those and sing. Oh, it's terrible. I had a, a brother-in-law. One, he could pick the banjo and his brother could play the fiddle. Uh -huh. That was beautiful music. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Lee Crawford, there's a man after I was married then had my children, grown up children. Mr. Lee Crawford, that's the man my husband worked for, he had a boy named Gilma. Well, he just had one child at that time. And Gilma liked music, and so he used to come up to my house and bring Gilma so he could uh, hear the music. And Gilmer and my son that died here a week or two ago, they loved to dance together. And both of them could dance. Ooh, they sure could. Could they buck dance? Yes, indeed. Yeah, indeed. They could buck dance, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. They used to face each other, you know, and just dance. Mm -hmm. And you know, that uh, that way of dancing, I think it's very pretty, too. Everything's so quiet. And, and somebody calling the set, you know, and them dancing, going around, uh -huh. swinging the partner. And, Cage the bird, and I don't know what all else was to it. Yeah. And it was very, very pretty. Did y'all have things like thrashing parties and and uh, a big party after you finished? No, well, I remember, I remember they'd have corn shuckings right. in the fall of the year. Men would gather the corn and put it in a great big pile, you know, and then they'd send out word of corn shucking tonight, and then they'd have supper, and a lot of them would have a dance afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, was this? Uh huh. Did white and colored? Yeah, yes. White and colored would go together. There was no. You didn't have the segregation. No, no. There was no segregation to it. They just. I don't know. They enjoyed being together to have a big time. I reckon. No, they didn't better to do like they do now. But things well, it isn't as bad now. I don't think it used to be since they uh, integrated the schools and things. It isn't as bad. No, they'd go in white and colored, and I remember they'd have a red air corn in the pile somewhere. And I forgot how they'd done that, the one that got the red air corn. And one that shook till he found the red air corn. There's some kind of prize to that. Oh. Yeah, uh-huh. What did your parents huh? used to, what did your parents used to do with you Oh, what all? did they do? Yeah. Oh, my, they farmed, my daddy farmed. He, 
used to grow, raise corn and stuff like that. And we children, we worked on the farm. We hoed corn, you know, and pulled fodder and picked peas and beans and all like that. Yeah. Uh, on the road from here to Georgia, after you cross the bridge way over here somewhere, on the left-hand side of the road there, I remember picking peas there when I was a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I picked peas there. We'd, we'd go like this morning and pick peas and have a great big sheet and we'd spread it out and pick the peas and put them on there and, and the sun was hot, you know, in the fall of the year and they'd dry and then when we'd get it full in the middle of the afternoon we'd sit down and have sticks and beat them out, we called it beating them out. Take the hulls all off and sack them up and sack up the peas and it's ready to go home then. Clay peas. <laughs> yeah, indeed. As is in fodder time, people's pulling fodder and weeds picking peas. Mm -hmm. do I don't see why people don't raise more of those now. They're high. Okay. I call them clay peas. We call them cow peas, yeah. clay peas. But uh, they I like them. A lot of people don't like them, but I like them. I think they cook them today and then warm them tomorrow. I think they better not to cook them fresh. But I like them. But I, don't, I haven't seen any in a long time. But they're very good. But we used to have beans to pick, and, and then at night, <coughs> At night, while we children, before we'd go to bed, while we'd be playing around, and they'd bring in a big bag of beans and put them down. All of us get on our aprons and we'd shell beans, you know. No, people don't farm and raise stuff now like they used to. Nothing like it. Gee. Well, it wasn't nothing to see a lot of children in the field with the hoes, man a plowing and them hoeing corn. <laughs> The girls and the boys? Huh? The girls and the boys were hoeing? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. Do you think that families used to be closer than they are now? Think what? That families used to be closer? Well, yes, they did in a way, because, I don't know, children didn't get out and just roam where they pleased and run all over everywhere. Now, like uh, I lived here, and like if you lived maybe way up on the hill or something, you didn't go up there to them people's house any time you want to. If you went up there to play, I'll let you go and play. Well, now, you stay an hour. When that hour's out, you come back home. They didn't just step out and go like they do now. Uh-uh. Every child, when he was away from home, his parents knew where he was. Yeah. But now, why, you can't keep up. <laughs> what kind of toys did you have when you were small? Why, we didn't have any toys except what... I don't remember us having any toys except what... The boys would make, they'd make little sleds, you know, and things like that. But I don't remember any toys. Did you have dolls? Yeah, we had dolls. But the dolls didn't, had a china head and china hands, and the rest of it was clothes filled with alcohol, with uh, excelsior, this uh, chaff, I mean, ground chaff, or what is it, wood, ground up fine. And they was clothed, and they was filled with that, the legs, and the whole body, and the head just sat on there, you'd sew it onto that, and the arms, you'd sew this, sew them on there, and they had the china arms, and china feet and legs, and china head, and that's, and that's, that's the way our dolls were, and then we'd dress them to suit ourselves. How much education did your parents have? Well, uh, well, I guess just about enough to read and write intelligently, I guess. Wouldn't you say that, Gertrude? I don't know, Mommy, I uh, my mother and uh, my grandmother, my grandmother could read nicely, but as I say, she was bound to a white minister, and uh, they taught her to read. 
Yeah. But a lot of colored people didn't get that. Well, your grandmother's age did not get to read. A no, lot. no, you're right. No, I knew I knew several that didn't couldn't read. But my grandmother, she was bound to this uh, white minister, and they taught her to read. My grandmother could read right along. And she taught her children. Yes, uh huh. My daddy and mother both could read. Yeah. Mm hmm. Because uh, she was reared, and she's right with them, you know, all the time. Mm -hmm. And of course, she married, but. She, her husband, I know, they didn't agree or something. She didn't live with him long, and so she lived with these white people. And so he's, her daughter, she reared her, you know, so she learned to read and write. These white girls and boys taught her how to read. My mother and grandmother both could read, and father too. I remember way back there when they'd have a dining room, white folks would have a big dining room, the kitchen, and uh, the color that worked for them, and I didn't blame them much in a way, when they got through eating dinner, then they'd take all the food in the kitchen and put on a table in there, and the hands would eat in there. They didn't eat in the dining room at all. Mm -mm. No. What do you think about uh, having lived so long and being so healthy? Well, sometimes I think that, I, sometimes I think to myself, well, I have tried to live right and treat my fellow man right. Do you think just life in general is better now than it Did used to be? Do you think that times are better now? Well, in, in a way they are, and in a way, uh, in some ways they are, and in some ways they are not. I don't know. I, sometimes I think they're better, and then sometimes I don't know. But in some ways they're better. In some like ways what? they're better. It's, I don't know. It's just, just according to the reaction or the way people you know, feel toward each other, I think. Now, you take some people. They're just as nice and respect you, respect maybe the colored. That is, if the colored is anybody in the intelligence, they respect them and go right on and think there's nothing to it. And some, well, they'd kick them out of the way if they could. Well, you couldn't blame them in a way because, I don't know, intelligence demands intelligence, I think, or something. Anybody that wants to be somebody, wants to stand for something, they don't have any time to, to take up with somebody that is down and don't want to be up and do any kind of thing. They don't have any time. If they can't help them, they just got to go on leaving. And that's the best way, I reckon. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>